Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back here. I always love coming back to Journey, one of my absolute favorite places to be. Uh, Bobby called my wife back there, but I got two of my sons here, too, that I am supremely proud of. So I'm so glad that they're here. Both of them traveled to be here. I appreciate that. I love, again, I love this church. I got pastors all over that are associated with my ministry, and I have uh, a lot of friendships out there, but your pastor is my warrior pastor. You know, I'm going to have to go back and look at my movies, but it's either going to be Braveheart or it's going to be uh, uh, the gladiator. That's, that's, that's who your pastor is. What a warrior for Jesus. And I love him and appreciate him. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about what I call divine appointments. Divine appointments. Have you ever had a situation when somebody comes into your life, maybe for it's a brief time, maybe it's an extended period of time, but you look back on them and you realize that God put them in your path. Have you ever had one of those situations? You know that it's just not coincidence. You know they are there and you're there being connected by God. It is a God-appointed appointment that you have with someone. Well, in John chapter 4, verses 139, and that's a, that's a lot of Scripture, and we're going to just have to skim a little bit of it, but Jesus has a divine appointment. And I want us to look at that and learn several lessons about being an effective witness for Jesus. Because, you know, of course, Jesus is, is, is the master teacher there. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to look on your outline, let's look there. Now, the first thing I want you to, to tell you in your outline is how not to be an effective witness. How not to be an effective witness. Verse 1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it, in fact, was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So you go, okay, what does that verse mean? To summarize, the Pharisees were following Jesus around. They noticed that Jesus was gaining more popularity. Now, they didn't care that he was gaining more popularity than John. Their problem was he was gaining more popularity than them. That was their struggle. They were religious people. And religious people don't want to lose their authority. They don't want to see someone else succeeding. They don't want to see someone else gaining authority if it means they're going to have less authority. So that was their problem with Jesus. Write this in on your outline. Oh, this, this first. This is how Jesus responded to that. Look at verse 3. So he left Judea. He went once more to Galilee. Jesus was wanting no part of all of that. So on your outline, A there on your outline, being a witness for Jesus is not about numbers. It's not about an attendance. It's not about a building. It's not about a denomination. And if you don't understand that and you get in and you think, I'm going to go out and witness, what I want to talk to you is about God-given, God-divine appointments, okay? And if you go out and you say, well, I'm going to invite someone to church, inviting people to church is a wonderful thing. But if you're just invited to church, God has more there in that divine appointment than that. So that's kind of where I want to center on this morning. It's not about those things. If you get into, where's your church home? 
Where is that located? What denomination is that? How long have you been there? If you get into just that and you say, this is my witness, asking people about their church home, you're going to get this kind of response. Oh, I'm Catholic. I'm Methodist. I'm Presbyterian. Yeah, I've been down there on Main Street. I've been on Main Street for years. My, my grandma has a plaque there for one of the windows. And you're going to get into this thing about where you attend. That's not what witnessing is. Witnessing is when you call upon someone and you share the love of Jesus with them. So be on your outline. It's not about attendance. It's not about denominations. It's about people. Witnessing is about people. Notice verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? You ever looked at that before? Why? Who said he had to go through Samaria? Why did he have to? Jesus was guided by God the Father. And when God the Father spoke to Jesus, he was obedient to whatever God said. And God had placed or inside Jesus was this spiritual compass called the Holy Spirit. And it directed the paths of Jesus and where he felt the Holy Spirit lead him and God the Father leading him is where Jesus went. So on that day, God the Father had given Jesus a divine appointment with someone. And it was a lady from Samaria. What I want to encourage you to do is be on the lookout for your divine appointments. You're going to meet many people, some of them briefly, some of them for an extended period of time, but some of them. God has on his heavenly calendar arranged for them to be on your path. And he has called you to be his witness of his goodness to that person. Jennifer and I were in the car years ago. We were riding down. We we're going down beside Walmart in Lexington and I looked over and said, oh boy, somebody's been in a car wreck. And got a little, there's police cars out there and got a little closer. And here's this little Teenage girl, she may be 17, 16, 17, 18 years. She's just talking on the phone, and it was clear to me that she was involved in that. And, and as I went by her, she looked up at me as I looked, and I went on, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to go check on her. Well, I'm trying to go home. So I go on, go down the hill, and, and at the bottom of the hill, the Holy Spirit again says to me, you need to go check on her. So I told Jennifer, I think the Lord wants me to go check on her. So I turned the car around, go back to her. And I am walking toward here. And she said, Daddy, no, he's here. He came back. He's here, Daddy. Hangs up the phone. She said, Pastor Bill, my daddy's out of town. He's worried sick about him, but uh, worried sick about me. But I told him, Pastor Bill just drove by. And my daddy said, well, Pastor Bill will come back. He'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. Did not know the girl. Didn't know her daddy. Boy, her daddy knew Pastor Bill will not leave my little girl stranded on the side of the road. Thank God I turned around and went back. <laughs> divine appointments. Now, sometimes you're going to think you have a divine appointment and you're going to go back and you're going to show up thinking you're doing what God wants you to do. And, and maybe it's that little girl and she's going to go, you creepy old man, what are you doing here? And you're going to go, whoa, sorry about that. I missed that one. It's all right to miss it. It's all right to miss it because at least you're being obedient to God. You're checking it out. What you don't want to do is be disobedient. 
You don't want God to have something set on the calendar for you, a person that you're supposed to meet, and you don't show up or you're not there, you ignore it. We were driving to our church one Easter morning. We just relocated and had a beautiful campus and had our facilities. An Easter morning of all times, it's Easter Sunday morning. And we were about 100 yards from pulling into our church parking lot, and there was a kid walking up the street, had on a pair of shorts, no shirt, boots, was carrying a soft-sided gun case, rifle, shotgun, you know, had on aviator sunglasses, and as I'm coming this way, that kid locks in on me with his eyes, tilts down, looks over his sunglasses, and stares me down as I'm riding past him. And I literally said out loud, you punk, good grief, I've got a gun, you know. The Holy Spirit said, you, you need to talk to him. It's Sunday morning. I got to get ready for Easter. I mean, this is the biggest service, you know, so I'm going into the parking lot and into the church, and I never think another thing about it. I come out in between services, and there's a buzz going on, and everybody's saying, police, what's going on with the police? And one of them asked me, you know, Bill, what's, what's going on? I, I have no idea. What are you talking about? We said, there is police everywhere up on top of the road. Didn't know anything till the next day. His little brother calls our youth pastor, just lost it, crying, because his brother, his girlfriend had broke up with him the morning before. He grabbed his gun and ran out of the house and said, I'm going to kill myself. And he goes up into the woods after he had passed a pastor who God had put him in front of him. And he shot himself. Don't miss your divine appointments. God puts you to intersect their life so you can make a difference and share the love of God with them. So verse 5, So he came to a town of Samaria called Shekar, and near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. And Jesus looked up. And here comes his divine appointment. In verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Number two on your outline. See and speak to the real person. When you're there in front of them and you know God is doing something in this encounter, see and speak to the real person. And by that I mean the person that God has created them to be. Don't get messed up by what's going on on the outside. Maybe they're cocky. Maybe they're arrogant. Maybe they're a mess. Maybe they got all kind of addictions. Don't, don't get put off by what you see on the outside there. So Jesus looks at her, he sees her, and he says, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, they don't associate 
with Samaritans. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to the age-old practice of human value rankings. To where we place people on the scale of human worth according to well, where we feel they are worthy to go. And we got it all worked out in our mind. We know just where on the ladder they should be. You're right there. You're down here a bit. And we have these terms. We have these words. Maybe code things worked out in our minds that we can say one word and we know where you belong. One word we know where you belong. Now you might say, well, I would never say things like that. I would never just look at a woman and say, no, you're down here, or look at this person and say, you're up here. I, I would never do those things. I don't have any of those th triggers in my spirit. And honestly, I know this church is far beyond where the average church is. But listen to me. You're not guilty of being prejudiced or guilty of being judgmental because you say them. You might say, I never say them. Thank God you're not arrogant or cocky or simple enough to say them. But the test is not if you say it. The test is if you think it. If it is in your mind, there is a trigger in your mind, a reflex in your mind, and automatically you're going to put somewhere where they belong based on your own prejudice. So we go to people and we say, hey, well, well, let me see. I'm a child of God, but let me see here. Let me get ready for you because I am going to help God and His justice system and I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. And buddy, I got a judgment. I got a judgment for every one of you. White people. So sick of white people. Do you think you own everything? Honestly. Do you honestly think you own everything? It's never your fault. Blacks. Jeez. Why don't you take care of yourself? Why don't you get your own race together? Why don't you, why don't you stop calling everybody a white supremacist? Hispanics. Crossing the border. Asians, can we please get our 7-Elevens back? Please. You don't need to own everything. Young people, let's start by pulling up your pants. Would you please just do that? Can we just, I don't want to look at your bottom all day. Pull up your pants. Do you really need all of those tattoos? You're going to regret that when you're 60 and you're pushing your rocker and you're all tatted up and grandma, again, little grandkids will look at you. You're going to regret it. Young people, your earlobes are never going to grow back. They're going to be that way forever. Old people, hymns, God, you got to have hymns. Is there anything you got to do? It? I mean, we always got a judgment on some people. What about the gays? homosexuals. Now you say, Bill, you look really stupid in that outfit. I feel even stupid because this is curling in right here. Right? I wasn't doing that in the first service. But you know what the truth is? I know I look stupid. 
I feel stupid. How foolish do you think we look to Jesus Christ on the cross when he stretches out his arms for the salvation of the lost world? And we run and we put our judgment, we put our judgment outfit on. Jesus is dying for the sinful world. We say, wait, Jesus, wait. Let me see if I approve of them. Let me see if they're worthy of me speaking to them. And Jesus is saying, just love people. Just love people. Just see them. Just reach out to them. Just embrace them with the love of God. Where do we get this judgment from? Do we really want to apply that judgment to people and not realize that it's applied back to us? We are all sinners saved by grace. We were all far from God. There is none not righteous. No, none righteous, no, not one. If we're going to judge people like that, we would be guilty ourselves. Who were we in our hypocrisy and our judgment to look at people and decide whether or not we're going to share the love of God with them? Well, I'm not comfortable with that person. That is not their problem. That is our problem. God forgive us. You cannot love people while you're judging people. So the lady says in verse 9, she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Where did she get those titles? Where did she automatically know where or, or feel where she belonged in the social ranking scale? How did she know that being a Samaritan and a woman was a double, uh, a double, double strike against her. Society had told her that. Secular society, the religious society, the church. I mean, we know that it's true because verse 27 says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or no one asked, why are you talking to her? They weren't foolish enough to say it. But they, the disciples of Jesus, were thinking it. Do you know that if you treat someone a certain way long enough, many of them will just get really, really angry. Some of them will start believing what you're saying to them they'll start believing that maybe they are in fear and maybe they are struggling. Maybe they are unworthy. And that's what had been happening with this woman. So Jesus was proclaiming to her, there's no barriers between us. That's what I'm saying. When you're out and you're witnessing, just proclaim to people through your love and through your actions, there's no barriers between us. Jesus was the Savior of the world. He was God Almighty in the flesh, but He did not bring His titles with Him. He did not bring His crown with Him. Just talk to people. Love on people. The next time you come to Haiti or you come to the Dominican Republic, don't show up saying this is a third world country and these broken people. Just talk to them. Call them by their name. Ask them about their family. See how they're doing and love on them. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman says, sir, 
You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his son and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I'll give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be coming them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't have to be thirsty and I won't have to keep coming to this well to get water. She was still not getting it. He was talking to her. He was loving her. He was encouraging, but she's still not getting it. So number three, this is something Jesus did. Number three on your outline, talk about their life. Talk about their life. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband. Come back and we'll talk. Go get your husband. And she says, I, I have no husband. Can you feel the conversation go deeper? Can you feel the emotional weight there as she, she had no reason to confess the truth to him, but she did. Jesus says, I know. You're right when you say that. The fact is you've had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband. That's quite true. He was saying, that's a very honest answer. And the lady is thinking, you are freaking me out right now. I mean, just imagine you're sitting here talking to this person and he is speaking into your entire life. She is so freaked out that she's like, let's change the subject. Listen to what she says here. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. I mean, I get on my donkey every morning. I don't know if I go to Jerusalem, if I'm supposed to go to this mountain. It is very confusing. You know somebody is nervous when they change the, the, change the subject to religion. She is nervous. And then Jesus goes on. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. But we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman says, I know that you're the Messiah called Christ. No, I'm sorry. The woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Fourth thing on your outline, write it down. Proclaim your Savior. The time will come in your witness with this person when you will need to proclaim your Savior. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. It was kind of a mic drop situation where someone drops a mic and walks off the stage, only it was not Jesus 
who walked off the stage, once Jesus laid that truth on her, that I, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, and the one you're looking at, she's the one that walked off the stage. I love this part. In verse 28 of 27, it says the disciples came back. Then verse 28, then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to town. She just left it there. Jesus proclaims who he is. And sometime in the relationship or in the timeline of your divine appointment, you must proclaim who your Savior is. If God has written this down, if it is important enough to, for God to put someone specific in front of you, it is, he put them there to be more, uh, for you to do more than just convince them that you're a nice guy. For more than you to just give them a hug, more than you just to encourage them. It's more than you just to give them $20. He put them there so you can proclaim to them the truth, the love of God. And sooner or later, you need to share who Jesus is with them. Satan has people beaten down. And a hug is good, but a hug's not going to change that. Satan is destroying families. And you encourage them is good, but it's not going to change that. There is a time in people's life when they need Jesus. I had an investigator, homicide investigator, was a member of our church. And he came to me one day, and man, he was so burdened. And he came into office and said, uh, Pastor, I've got a friend. Is, he's one of my officers. His 18-year-old son just committed suicide. And he is just burdened by that. Can we pray for him? Man, I came out from behind my desk. I said, absolutely, we can pray. And so I sat down in one chair, and he was a few feet away and I said let's pray for him right now and man as soon as I said that he fell down and got on his knees and I said oh, we're doing that kind of prayer all right I can do that too so we got down and we started praying for that officer and that father and that husband and we prayed God's blessings upon him and we prayed God's strength upon him and we prayed that God would bring someone into his life to encourage him and, and guide him and direct him. And we prayed our hearts out for that man. And it was like a week and a half later. Man, I am going down I-20. And I'm trying to get home. It's in the evening. And I've I'm, I'm, I'm got a little speed behind me. And I look into my rearview mirror and oh my gosh. There's a policeman pulling me over. Get to the side of the road. He comes up. Driver's license and registration, please. I always am ready to play the pastor card. Because sometimes it gets you out of jail. <laughs> so I handed that. I said, officer, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and also I was just coming from the hospital or I was late getting home or I've been working at church all day. I'll weave it in there somehow. And I did that time. I handed it to him. He goes back in his car. And then I am sitting there and he has taken forever Forever, I'm like, dude, give me the ticket. Let me go home. He's taking forever. Finally, he gets on the intercom and he says, Chaplain Howard, can you please come back here? Now, there's two things wrong with that statement. <laughs> number one, how do you, why are you calling me chaplain? And number two, come back here cannot be good. 
you know? So I get out of the car and I'm like, you know, hands up behind my back. I don't know if I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to do. How do you want me to get back there? He says, come around to the passenger side, please. And I walk around. He leans over and he opens up the passenger door and I get in there. Computer screen sitting here. Shotgun into its holder here. Very, very intimidating. It was very intimidating. He's got his book out and he finishes it up and he he said, I'm not going to write you a ticket. This is just a warning. Please slow down. He said, Chaplain. And his voice starts to tremble. He says, would you pray for me and my family? Because our 18-year-old boy just killed himself last week. And I don't know what to do. What? Out of the thousands of people going in and up and down that interstate, out of the hundreds of, of police officers, he pulls me over? Man, my arms came up, and I mean to tell you, I put my arms on that man, and I prayed God's blessings. I prayed there God's healing. I called out the name of Jesus on him. I prayed with every fiber of my being that God would bless them and heal them and restore them and be in their marriage and save them. I mean, I poured my heart out on that man. There is times when nothing but the name of Jesus will change it. It is only by the power of Jesus and by His salvation and His peace. Don't ever be in a relationship where you know that God is calling you to call out your Savior. And you say, well, I don't want to say it. I don't want to do it. God has put you there for that purpose. To change the trajectory of their life. Proclaim who your Savior is. And I would like to tell you that I gave him my card. I said, dude, come. I didn't say dude. It just came out of my mouth. I, I gave him my card. I said, anytime you need help, you call me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd like to say to you that here's the ending of that story, but I don't know what the ending is. I never heard from him again. But I do know this. It's the last point. Know that your witness, when, you, when your witness is, is in the name of Jesus, it lives on and on and on. Verse 28, the living, um, then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything that I did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came to the town and they made their way toward Jesus. And then all the way down to verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. And by her testimony, she witnessed to a generation of people who then witnessed to a generation of people who then witnessed to a generation of people. And it lived on and on and on. One last quick story. I didn't come from a good bad home, bad home. I just came from a home. My dad was a cross-country truck driver. My mom dropped out of school in the seventh grade. She lived in the middle village to take care of her two younger sisters. So she was always really intimidated by the education process. 
my dad was gone earning a living for a family. I was a pretty good athlete. I made all the varsity teams I could start, but I quit everything I started because my motto in life was, you're not my daddy and you can't tell me what to do. So my coaches would just, you're good, but you're not that good. Bye. I was headed for trouble. And God wrote down a divine appointment one day to a chubby, ball-headed man named Edgar Bowles, who was my youth pastor. And he took that divine appointment seriously. And he hung on to me. Listen, I gave him every reason in the world to let me go. He would not let me go. I finally graduated from high school, or it'd be more true to say I got promoted out of high school. And he came and got me one day and said, put on a nice shirt. And he took me to what was at the time Anderson Junior College. And he sat across the dean of admissions and begged for me. The dean said, Edgar, I, I hear you, but he doesn't meet any of the requirements to get in. Again, Anderson Junior College at the time. He doesn't meet any of the requirements. Edgar says, I know. But if you just give him a chance, just give him a chance. But Edgar, even if we do, he doesn't have the educational foundation to be able to do the work. I know that, but if you would just give him a chance. He begged my way in on academic probation. And I was so grateful to him that I never looked back. I've learned every day of my life since then. That was 43 years ago that he made such a powerful witness in my life. And I am proclaiming to you, and I have told that story all over the country where I get to speak. That God put Billy Howard on the path of Edgar Bowles. And Edgar was supposed to make a radical, radical witness for Jesus. And he did. You have divine appointments. If you're a child of God, God is intersecting people with your life. Don't miss it. Don't let your foolish, judgmental nature get in the way. See that as a child of God and love them and encourage them and pray for them and tell them who Jesus is. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you sent people to every one of our lives. You sent people there. And now, Lord, you're sending people to us. Give us that love in our spirit, that openness to realize, Father, we are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. 
May we be generous with our love and our encouragement and our prayers. Lord, I pray that you'll do incredible things, continue to do incredible things to this church, Lord, for the kingdom as people share your love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.